What's up, everyone? Hope you're doing well today. It is Thursday, uh, May 30th. This is Raphael Garcia back for episode 122 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I want to say thank you, first and foremost, for taking the time to listen to our show, whether you're doing it live or on demand. As always, we appreciate your support and appreciate your time. Uh, feel free to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at MMA Ratings Net. You can catch all of our content there, which is either content created by myself, Schwan Humes, or Adam Martin. And our editor, Michael Boer, usually um, throws in some content every now and then when he can. You can catch us across uh, Instagram as well at the same handle. But as always, feel free to go to MMARatings.net where you can rate the fights and let us all know exactly what you think about the action that goes down in the cage week after week. Again, my name is Raphael Garcia, and you can catch my uh, Twitter uh, uh, ramblings, I guess, at rgarcia underscore sports. That's where you'll catch me there acting on, I would say acting like a fool, but in reality, I'm just acting like my damn self and saying whatever I have to say that's on my mind. But as always, thank you for uh, the time today, and thank you for doing what you all do. We will always really appreciate it. But with that in mind, you know, we don't have a whole lot to talk about today. Today's probably going to be a shorter show, but we do have some news bits to talk about, and we also have a um, fight card this weekend, but there really isn't a whole lot going on on the fight card, so I don't really want to talk about the main event, but we're just going to jump into... We're going to jump into the... Probably the... There's a couple of different news stories uh, that kind of popped out to me as I was putting together the agenda this week. And the one I wanted to talk about the most was Elias Theodoro and Justin Willis were both cut from the UFC in recent weeks. And their cuts are rather intriguing to me. I wrote a piece about this on MMA Ratings Net that came out yesterday. You can catch, you can go to the web, you can go to our site there and check out what I wrote. But it's very interesting when you look at situation here. We're going to break it down a little bit because I want to talk about this not only from a, I guess, the media member standpoint, but thoughts on what everybody else within the UFC and let's go from there. So give me one second. I want to um, tweet out the link today. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, you all for that. It took for being patient for that second. So as I was saying, Elias Theodore and Justin Willis were both cut from the UFC. And Elias last fall, I believe it was last weekend or the week before, where he dropped a, a I'm not sure if it was a, he dropped a decision. I can't remember if it was unanimous or split, but he dropped about to Derek Brunson. And Elias, I think at the time, he was ranked like either 14 or 15 coming into that fight. He was 8-3 in the UFC overall. And he was kind of like he was 
kind of like one of those guys who can middle around 15, maybe bump up the top 10, but he never defeated like anyone that was ranked. He never did anything that kind of like stood out to fans and media members alike. Um, but a lot of people were unhappy with his fight style, especially uh, when he fought Brunson this past, or I can't remember if it was this weekend or not, but when he fought Brunson, because a lot of his, uh, a lot of his strategy, I guess, was to strike and run, run away. Strike, 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 run away, strike, 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 run away. And I hate to use the term run away, but there were definitely moments in the fight where he was literally running away from Brunson and not engaging. And as we all know, that is not a style that's going to get over with the fans. But on top of that, if it doesn't get over with the fans, it's not going to get over with UFC management as well. And what resulted is that Theodoro, coming off a loss, he had won three straight fights before then, including a fight uh, that he won over a pretty interesting topic of, or a once prospect. I don't think he, I don't see him as much, so much anymore. Eric Anders. Uh, now that he was on the losing end of a fight, the UFC does have the ability to cut him, which is exactly what they did today. So they packing. And a lot of the response across what I, I saw either on social media or in comments on the articles talking about it was that people were glad he was gone. And there's a lot of reaction that, that the loudest contingent of trolling is that he wasn't there to fight, he was running, his style wasn't attractive, et cetera, et cetera. And that's pretty un unfortunate. And while I do not know if there was anything uh, malicious behind it, if, if maybe Elias had pissed some people off in high positions, I'm not quite sure if that's the case because I have never heard anything about that. But I, we've seen in the past where there are styles that are appreciated within the UFC and then there are styles that are not appreciated within the uh, UFC. Uh, we saw, I, I remember... Like Leonard Garcia, for example, Leonard Garcia was on a, uh, I think on a four or five fight losing streak at one point in time. But the fact that he would go out there and throw all types of um, balls to the wall, doing all types of shit, kept him around a little bit longer than it probably people would, would have kept him around most. And then I remember when Jared Rochelle got cut uh, for losing one fight as well, or maybe they just didn't sign him, even though he was one of the top uh, heavyweights at that time. So this isn't this isn't new per se. It's not new in any way, shape or form because we know that mixed martial arts, especially at the UFC's level, is more about sports entertainment than it is the sporting aspect. It's more more entertainment than it is sports. That's kind of why I always like to liken it to uh, professional wrestling because they are there to uh, entertain the fans, which usually leads to revenue gain. But Elias Theodoro wasn't the type of fighter that excited everybody. And I understand, I understand the uh, resentment towards the style that he displayed on Saturday. Um, keep saying Saturday, like I know it was this weekend, but it wasn't uh, in his last fight. And I get it, you know, no one wants to see a fighter turn and run and disengage from their opponent in such a way. But Elias' statement about thinking that his job was to outsmart and out strategize and outwit his opponent was a part of the fight game. And I get that point, but it's that's not the end-all, be-all. He could do so. I'm, I'm using an example of another fighter who does enough striking but enough movement to keep themselves safe at the same time 
but we don't have to worry about this individual getting cut at all. And that's Michelle Watterson. You know, she's kind of being positioned to fight for a women's strawweight title. And her style is, you know, she's not going to go out there and she's not going to knock anyone out. Her jujitsu is marginal at best, but she's going to go out there and she's going to run up the score, rack up a lot of points and get on her bike and move around the cage, staying active but getting out of, out of the way of, or attempting to get out of the way of power and long um, exchanges. Elias can't say the same thing about his style. He was literally turning his back multiple times and running away. And that was just an, it was an unfortunate thing to see because we kind of knew what was going to go down here. I don't think he was going to get cut, but I think we all I was not appreciated. And to see him get cut and to see him kind of have to deal with that, you know, it, it's tough because aren't all really there. The big money opportunities. And I know he was probably um, better paid than most. And what I mean by that is because you kind of look at it, I think the number of fights he had within the UFC where he was being positioned on the card. I know uh, his Reebok deal was probably a little bit better than most, even though that's not really a lot to begin with. So he was in a position that maybe he was expendable to the organization. And that's what happened. He got only got about his way. And the same could be said about Justin uh, Justin Willis, who was also cut last week. But before we dive into that, um, my co-host, Schwan, just stepped into the show. How you doing there, sir? Oh, I'm good, man. How about yourself? How you doing there, Schwan? Oh, I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Doing well. Thank you for um, joining me tonight. You stepped right in. As we're talking about Elias Theodoro and Justin Willis getting cut, um, I wrote about this for MMA Ratings this past week. It's been talked about on multiple shows this week. What were your thoughts when you saw that Elias was cut? And we're going to talk about Justin in a second as well. It was just kind of a, a reminder how much of how much of this sport is sports entertainment and not really a sport. It's something uh, King Mo used to say all the time. He said, in other sports, regular sports, there's a normal process to getting a job, keeping a job, and moving up in your job. In MMA, there's no in combat sports, there's no process. You don't take the guy who's done the most. You take the guy who draws the most eyes, gets the biggest pay-per-view buys, puts the most butts in seats. There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's people who are on three-fight losing streaks who have a job. There's a guy who gets cut after he has a seven-fight winning streak. It, it just makes no sense. And it was just a reminder of that conversation I had with them. And it kind of takes away some of the legitimacy or what little legitimacy MMA has as a sport away. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. It is more entertainment than it is um, sporting a bit, and that's kind of why I always equate it to uh, professional wrestling because it, it, it was a tough situation to kind of watch. Yeah, he was on an eight-and-three eight win streak. He was doing his thing, winning um, winning more often than he lost, and he was ranked in the top 15. I think he was like 14 before he fought Brunson. So I am not too surprised about this loss, but if you look at the way he fought uh, a couple of weeks back, it, it isn't, it shouldn't be that surprising. Yeah. The weird thing is like a lot of people don't really like him and they don't like his fight style. The fun, it, it's funny because you saw so many people saying how boring he is. He deserved to lose. And now these same people are saying, well, he shouldn't have got cut. I, for one, I was actually a fan of what he did. It wasn't really exciting, but he played a smart game. He wasn't the greatest athlete, wasn't the greatest striker, wasn't even the greatest wrestler, but he somehow managed to beat very good to very good competition.
just outsmarting them, just having a strategy, sticking to it, and not getting away from it. And I think that's something that should be commended commended in a fighter. And a lot of guys, a lot of fans don't get behind those kind of fighters. They don't. They want a cerebral fighter as long as he's dishing out punishment. When a fighter plays the game the right way, gets the points, and does what he takes to win, people tend to shy away from that guy. They turn on that guy, and that's basically what the UFC, the UFC jumped on. They didn't. They knew there wouldn't be a big outrage if he got cut because people don't really like him. They don't like his attitude. They don't like his fighting style. They could justify it. But when you look at it as a pure sport, it's a very bad look. He won more than he lost. He won convincingly when he won. And he won against a, a constantly increasing level of talent. And that's the guy you sent home. But there's guys who lost three or four, three or five. They're still in. Guys who got knocked out in four or five fights. BJ Penn's still fighting. But Theodoro has to go. Yeah, definitely. It's like he is. It's it's a game where he, his style wasn't that attractive to fans that were watching. And you actually mentioned him outsmarting his opponents. He talked about that. I think he mentioned it on social media this week when he finally came back, where he thought his job was to outsmart and out uh, stylistically fight his opponents. And while he is correct in a sense, you can't do that while running away from exchanges and turning your back and kind of avoiding as much as you possibly can. While I get it, you know, you have to do what you have to do to win a fight. He did that more often than he did not. But it, it, it's it's still a game where you have to entertain the fans and you have to please those individuals that are paying money to see you. And I understand why the UFC cutting this isn't um, this isn't very different from what they've done in the past, but it's still unfortunate to us. See. Well, I have just one question on the opposite end of that. Because, you know, to an extent, we could say that's his fault, right? Because he's not engaging. Is it his fault he's not engaging? Or is it the fault of the guys who don't have enough skill to cut him off or put him in positions where he has to engage? It's a little bit of both. I mean, it, it's I mean, like... If, if you fake a jab, you can go high, go low. I don't see guys doing that. I see guys walking around, stalking him. If they take a step to the right, or, a hard right, step to the right or left, they can slowly cut the cage down. Why don't they yes, do that? Like, like you're 100 percent right. I think that they in, in struggling to do that is one thing, yes, but I don't think that there's any. Um, I think that the onus is always going to get put more on a fighter that is not looked upon as favorably. Um, and the, the tactics that Elias was implementing when he fought Brunson are never going to be looked upon favorably in, in any way, shape, or form, whether yeah, they're right true. or not. Can't, can't argue that at all. I just was, you know, I have to explore the other side of it. Like when they say someone keeps on laying praying, well, how do they get to that position? Because they keep taking you down and you can't submit them or get back up. So at some point you have to look at yourself and say, I, I, I need to address certain skills in my, my, my area. Yeah. And then beyond that, um, we also had Justin Willis get cut. And his situation is a little bit different because he's also coming off a loss. He lost to Curtis Blades. I think he was four and one in the UFC. And his the various reports are coming out that he was um, asked to fight Walt Harris in July, and he which is two months from now at heavyweight, obviously, and he turned that fight down because he thought he was going to make it was going to be difficult for him to make 265 pounds in that time frame, and the and he was supposed to be removed from the rankings and cut from the organization soon after. This is probably more alarming to me. Because if it's a fighter who's saying, hey, I have concerns about making weight within the time frame you want me to make weight, um, the fact that the UFC turned around and cut him for saying no for that reason 
if that is the actual reason that that, that occurred, that, that's a sequence of events, that speaks to a larger issue because we know how much of a hindrance weight cutting and weight management is for athletes. We know the, um, the struggle that they go through to make that weight. So for the UFC to look at a guy and say, hey, if you can't make weight, we want you to make weight on, on our notice, we're going to cut you. I think that that's a very big problem that needs to be talked about. I think it is a problem, and I agree with you on that. But then there's one thing we are forgetting, and I'm not saying it makes it excusable, but that's heavyweight, man. Like, it's it's one thing when you're making lightweight, and I, I probably shouldn't have this bias. And I like Justin Willis. I talked to him online. Seems like a really cool guy. I'm a fan of his fighting style. But a lot of people are just going to say, dude, you're a heavyweight. How, how can you not get down? How can you not be in shape? Because heavyweight around MMA is notoriously thin. Like, nobody can afford to give away a quality heavyweight. Nobody can afford to cut one. So it, it, it's going to shock some people that you're a heavyweight and you're getting cut because there's so few with any real talent and there's so few who are young, young enough where they can actually carve out a career. I mean, most of the heavyweights of, of note are guys who are, you know, mid-30s, going to late 40s, who've been around for five, six, seven, eight years. So while I'm on his side because they let people who – Unless, unless they're making a change where they're like they're going to really enforce crackdown on people who miss weight, and this is going to be a new change, then I can get behind it. Otherwise, I, I can't really support it. But I am going to say, as a heavyweight, you have a lot of leeway. And the fact that he was coming off a loss and he's considering himself a world-class contender, some people might look at that as him not being as committed to the sport as he needs to be. I'm not one of those people, but I could I could see how that argument would be made against him. Yeah, I can definitely understand that there. So I wonder what's going to be next for both of these guys. Do you think that Bellator or one would be interested in either, in either one of them? Um, I would think Bellator. I think Bellator could use. An, I mean, any any organization can use a heavyweight who's fairly young, doesn't have a lot of miles on him, can fight a little bit. I mean, they. I mean, and not saying he can only fight a little bit, but any heavyweight with the modicum of skill seems to get a shot at the big league. So I don't see how. He hits the market and Bellator or, or somebody of that nature isn't all over him. There's just not enough quality heavyweights. And he's a heavyweight who's one on the biggest stage against, you know, pretty good competition. As far as heavyweights go, he's he's essentially beaten world-class competition. Mm-hmm. So I don't see how he doesn't get snatched up. Um, Theodoro, on the other hand, I mean, once again, Bellator is over there. They need, they need bodies. They don't have enough guys. So that's always an option. But I don't like you said. If it's about excitement, his style doesn't create excitement, and he hasn't had enough big name wins to just say he's one of the best in the world. He's kind of in that that uh that bad spot. Like Jake Shields was boring, but Jake Shields had beaten tons of name people, so he got by on that. Theodorus hasn't really beaten name elite guys yet, and and he's considered boring. Smart, I call it smart. Other people call it boring, but I don't know how you sell that. I'm sure that there's an organization that can use him. I just don't know if he get, he goes over to a big organization right away. True, true. I, I uh, definitely agree with both of those sentiments. Uh, let's turn our focus to some of the fights that were announced this week. We got two pretty big ones for the same card. Uh, I believe there are some others, but I didn't feel like tracking them all down. The first was Jermaine uh, Durandamy versus Aspen Ladd. This is going to be the main event of USC Sacramento, which is in July, I believe. Um, I can't even remember the last time that uh, Jermaine Durandamy fought, but she is ranked number one. And the bantamweight. I don't even remember that fight. When was that? Oh man, that was probably like three or four months ago, minimum. I, I just know she really whooped her ass. No offense to Raquel, I, I'm a fan of, but she beat 
beat her up. Raquel was, out. Raquel was out for a long time after that. I don't even remember that fight, but she's taking on Aspen Ladd, and Ladd's coming off of that hell of a fight against the Jar Eubanks uh, about two or three weeks ago. What do you think about this fight from an initial um, standpoint here? Are, um, I think that UFC is hoping Aspen Ladd gets the win and knocks off uh, Jermaine, and they can probably position her as a top contender at, at Bantamweight. But what are your thoughts about this fight when it was booked? It's, it's clear they want Aspen Ladd to move up the, the fast, get her on the fast track. The win over Avenger kind of solidified her because even though Avenger doesn't have a win, Avenger is a veteran who, who's been competing at a high level and she walked through her. Sajar Eubanks was a name fighter who was coming off a win and had won more than she lost. That was another fight that kind of built her. They're now trying to get her into the legitimate fringe aspects of being a contender. Jermaine Durandamy is another favorable matchup because she's more of a striker who we know doesn't have really a wrestling background or a real good strike or grappling background. So it's it's a favorable matchup against a girl who was a former featherweight champion, a girl who's beaten Holly Holm, a girl who beat another top-ranked fighter in Raquel Pennington very recently. So they're hoping Ladd can beat her and beat her fairly impressively so they have an excuse to make have Ladd take a maybe a five-place a five ranking jump in the rankings and possibly be an outside contender for a Bantamweight shot in another fighter, maybe another fight, and to be an outside contender for a Bantamweight shot. Because if she beats Durand Durandamit, everything Durandamit has accomplished will kind of bleed over to Aspen, and Aspen will kind of be able to take that momentum and take the next step forward. Yeah, I think if Vlad wins this fight, there's no way you can't look at her as the next contender because it's, uh, the division doesn't have anyone else. So if she gets a win here, yeah. and she's definitely um, slotted in that top position to face off. Probably, I guess, whoever comes out of the victory, uh, comes out of the win, comes out of the Holly Holm Amanda Nunez fight. Is that fight for the featherweight or bantamweight title? I, to be honest, I, I don't even know. I assume it's for the bantamweight title. And if it is, that's, that, that might make it a little bit more dicey for Nunez. Let me check real quick because I just. Just on the side. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I hadn't thought about it. I don't know. That fight is for bantamweight, so I would I would expect Nunez to face the winner of that at UFC 239. It'd be funny if they made it for both titles, since both girls are voting both weight to classes, so they just made it for both titles. That would be. I wish I wish they could do something like that, but we know that that won't happen. But uh, I I think I honestly think this fight might be a little bit tougher for Aspen than a lot of people are thinking. Um, she's big, she's physical, she's athletic, she's tough, she's durable, but on the feet, she doesn't really seem to have an idea, an identity. She's got like a basic level of skill, but she uses a lot of volume and physicality. And Jermaine Durandamy, while she might not be one of the finest strikers in the world, as far as mixed martial arts go, she might as, she might as well be Floyd Mayweather. She's so far ahead most of these girls as far as her ability to defend, counter, and lead using strikes. I mean, there's very few fighters who can stand up with her. Amanda Nunes didn't want to stand up with her. She took her right down. And while Ladd is, has good timing, good feel for the game, she's not the most dynamic wrestler. She's really not. She's not really the most technical and layered grappler. And as a striker, she's one note. She's all volume. So I think there's spots where Jermaine Demandy can get to her. I think she can initiate the clinch and kind of chip her up, back her into the fence. And if they and if they kickbox at range, um, it won't go past one. Yeah, that's do you think do you, do you think yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Do you think that she has enough in the toolkit to deal with uh Durandamy's range? If she can't get Durandamy down consistently, she's gonna get knocked out. 
I mean, because we'll put it like this. All volume, very little craft, not a lot of movement, not a lot of defense. Holly Holm is all volume with slightly better defense, more seasoning, more movement. If Holly Holm would generally loosely the same style of attacking, which is all volume, who's having struggles with Duran and Randomy, and she's a seasoned striker, what's Aspen Ladd going to do? She doesn't move at all. She doesn't have any sense or feel for the fight game on her feet, and her team's been leaning exclusively on her athleticism and her durability. I, I've seen her her past couple fights. She doesn't look any better striking than she did six months ago, and she doesn't look that much better striking than she did when she fought Sajar Eubanks the first time. It's physicality and athleticism. That's not going to cut it against Duran who's also physical and athletic. So if she doesn't had a set up her fight where she can faint or transition from strikes into takedowns and she gets into an arranged kickboxing match, Durandami's going to mess her up. And if Durandami initiates the clinch and takes away those body locks and those shots, Durandami's going to mess her up. She has to fight a very particular disciplined fight to win this. If she starts getting wild on the feet like she did against Dejari Banks and, and Jermaine, Jermaine gets her in trouble, she'll finish. She'll finish against Aspen. She won't let her off the hook. She can maintain the pace, which Eubanks couldn't. So, I mean, the fight against Eubanks gave me some confidence, but it also gave me some concern for her against a girl who, who's known as a elite striker in mixed martial arts. Right. She's what, the Iron, Ma- uh, Iron Maiden? Is that what they call her? None of you used to call her the Panzer. Iron Lady, that's it. That's right. Um, quick I mean, quick thoughts. Be, watch, watch, watch clips of that Pennington fight against Jeremy. You'll be like, Jesus. I'm gonna have to go back. Well, and look back. I, I don't even remember that fight at all. She didn't um, ten fight, fighter in that fight. She looked bad. What do you? Who, who do you have? If you had to make an early pick, who would you, who would you pick? I guess I'm just gonna say Durandami right now. I mean, stylistically, it should be an easy fight for Lad, but Lad to me is not a great wrestler and not a great grappler. She she can get people to the ground, but it takes a lot of energy. She can hold people on the ground, it takes a lot of energy, and she just she doesn't fight very smart, in my opinion. And her coaches haven't directed her in a very smart way, in my opinion. So if she hasn't grown dramatically, I I expect uh, Jermaine to get her out of there. I think she I think she can win it. True. So let's talk about uh, the other big fight that was announced for that card in um, Uriah Faber. The California kid is coming back, and he's coming back to face off against. Um, <clears throat> Coming back to face off against, oh man, that sucks. He's coming back to face off against uh, Ricky Simone, and this is pretty interesting because you know he retired in 2016. He is pushing 40, I believe, or 36, something like that, and um, and he's coming back. And I just wanted to know what are your thoughts about this? Does this fight excite you first and foremost? Before we kind of break it down, does the California kids come back? really get you excited for anything. The, if he's coming back because he wants to compete and he feels like he can still be the best, like he genuinely feels that way, yeah, but I don't know why he's coming back. Like, is there something going on that we don't know about? Is it a money issue? Is it he can't let go of the fame? Or is he really invested in being the best fighter? at the Invested in being the best, even at a later age, you can still compete. You'll, you'll make certain changes. You'll make certain adjustments. But if he's just coming back because he misses the fame, I, I don't really want to see it because that's going to end really badly. It's just going to end badly. I, I'm, kind of, I'm interested. I'm interested to see what he, how he's developed his game in the past couple years or if he has developed his game. Because if he has, I'll be very impressed. That's what I want to see, a, a more mature, more well-rounded, more, 
more layered Uriah favor. But if he's doing the same stuff he did before, then I'll be I won't be very excited. I'll be very sad if he comes back doing the same thing he did before. That's that's not gonna cut it in this stage of mixed martial arts. What do you think about the time off that like how has that kind of do you think that's added some longevity to his career? Do you think he's maybe healthier than he's been in a very long time? Do you, like what do you think about that aspect? Well it can you'll be healthier, but if you're just taking the time off just healing, but you're not staying in shape, you're not training, you're not expanding your game, then any benefits you get from from healing up and being better are taken away by the fact being physically better are going to be taken away by the fact that mentally you're slow in working on, not just working on, but developing new skills. So if he's been taking the right, if he's been taking the George St. Pierre approach, this could be really good for him. But if he's been taking the, oh, I'm just going to do what I do and train how I train and I'm going to come back approach, that's, it's not going to, it might work against lower level guys, maybe, but it's not going to work any, anywhere past that. Well, he has been he has been active. You know, he just did Polaris Ten uh, over Memorial Day weekend. I know he did Quintet and he did uh, another submission underground as well. So he's been active, um, and I know he's been training and stuff like that. But it is it intrigues me a little bit to see him come back. Um, I, I'm more interested in how Ricky Simon or Simone looks in this fight because this is a big opportunity for him if he goes in there and he blows the doors off of uh, Favor. You know, he is I think he's four and one since joining the uh, UFC. So he goes in there and he blows the doors off his Hall of Famer, former champ, former WEC champion, former um, multiple time UFC title contender. I think this does more for his career uh, than anything. And I don't, I don't think anyone's really talking about that. Fawn, you there? Okay, so anyway, beyond that, um, I think that that this fight is interesting. It's, it's, it's intriguing to me. I think uh, Faber was definitely one of those uh, early small guy um, stars who was kind of welcomed into the sport and helped help the UFC embrace the lighter weights uh, sooner rather than later. Rashawn. So yeah, we're just gonna keep going because I'm not sure what kind of technical issues Shawan is having, and those are the two. Shawan, you there? Let me inject him. Then we add him. So yeah, those are the two main fights that I wanted to really talk about. And um, let me see, give me a second more quick, guys. And I wanted to turn my attention from the fight announcements for upcoming bouts to what's going on this weekend. And this is a this is an early week. This is an early UFC weekend where uh, UFC uh, UFC Stockholm I think kicks off at 10 a.m. Eastern time. I will be in the fight metric office by nine to work on this event. So it's an early day for me, but this is um, a, a card that has a lot of depth for hardcore fans, but if you're not too um, well-versed in that, is there, outside of the main event, there isn't a lot there for you, especially since uh, Ilya Latifi just fell off the card today. He was supposed to face off 
against um, Vol uh, Volkan Uzdemir, but that fight was just pulled. Uh, let me see if I can get Shmuel back in. See if I can get this guy back in here and get him back. Talking about something in Okay, recent invite. Let's see what happens. But yes, um, outside of the Anthony Smith Alexander Gustafson fight, I don't think this card has a whole lot for everybody. But that main event is still intriguing in some ways for me. Um, I would have liked to see these guys paired up against other competitors, like maybe giving um, Johnny Walker one and giving uh tyson pedro or dominic reyes one of the other guys what's interesting to me though is that uh, i don't we don't know how hurt walker was after his um celebration from the last one i think he messed up his shoulder and he had to get some work done there so there's that but the 205 pound division doesn't have a lot of depth in it i mean john jones has done his job he went in there and he basically Rural competition he had in that division went up to heavyweight. If you look at the ranking right now at light heavyweight, you have Daniel Cormier, who's Jones beating twice. Jones has beaten him twice. Alexander Gustafson, Jones has beaten him twice. Diago Santos is up next. They fight uh, in a couple months. Anthony Smith, um, Jones just beat him. Dominic Reyes is there. Jan uh, Bukovic, Broken Uzumir, Corey Anderson. Alir Latifi, Clemens Ashera, another name that Jones has beat. And there's Jimmy Manua, um, Johnny Walker, Mauricio Shogun Hua, another name that Jones has beat. And then Misha uh, Shukunov and Nikita Kairov. Like that is a top 15 there. And none of these names really stand out as anything that is super intriguing to me. The Thiago Santos fight, that's kind of one that was made out of, um, I'm not going to say obligation. But there really wasn't anyone else. Um, there really wasn't anyone else because Jones has been doing his job. He's been getting guys out of there and racking up wins, cashing checks, snapping necks and cashing checks. If he doesn't go, there really isn't anything else that's left for this division. I do think that he will, I, I think he'll go up to heavyweight and I think he'll be day or Cormier's last fight. Um, especially now that we've seen that Brock Lesnar has gone back to WWE. We don't know the details around that deal, but he has gone back to that organization. I think that Jones is going to be the final fight for Daniel Cormier, but that's, that kind of explains why Gustafs and Smith were put together for this weekend, because outside of being guys that can knock off uh, contenders, there isn't much else left for either one of these two men in this um, division, but uh, Shawan, and now we have you back. What are some of your initial thoughts about the um, this weekend's main event between Alexander Gustafsson and Anthony Smith? I, I kind of feel like the UFC's run out of ideas and they're kind of forced to put these guys in together because they're trying to get a appealing main car with some names and some action, but this fight, it doesn't really have much importance because neither guy could beat the guy at the weight class. So it's essentially the battle of two runner-ups i mean it's a good fight but as far as like what it means for the division it's not 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 really much you know not really much at all neither i mean neither guy in my opinion is really 
elite anymore. I, I don't. It just it's kind of it's good matchmaking because it's a good fight with some interest. It's bad matchmaking because this fight doesn't do anything for the division at, at all. Whoever wins isn't challenging Jones for the title next. So what, what do you do with them? They gotta win at least another three, four, five, six fights before they're even eligible for another title shot. And if Jones is still a champion, there's no need to have a rematch. They got beaten that badly. So what does this fight mean for even men? Is it just a placeholder and it's just something for them to do while the rest of the division shakes out? Or what I was saying is that I would have rather seen them kind of split up. I would have rather seen either one of them face Johnny Walker and um, Dominic Reyes. You at least give a young guy a chance to see if they can rise above and go to the elite level. In this case, I mean, if Smith loses, then he's four steps away from the title. If Gustafson loses, he's five steps away from the title. It doesn't really change anything because the impression is they're better than the rest of the light heavyweights. That impression won't really change, but they're not good enough to beat John Jones. Whoever wins this fight isn't going to, nobody's going to believe they can beat John Jones. So nothing really changes. I mean, they beat a young up and comer. That says something. But beating each other, it, it doesn't really say anything. I guess it says that Alexander Gustafsson still has something in him because he wasn't really active a lot before his fight with Jones. And he didn't really perform well against Jones. So if he beats Smith, that says that he still ha- has something to offer the division. If Smith wins, then that, to me, that tells me more about Alexander Gustafsson than it tells me anything about Smith. I don't, I don't think this fight is really, no matter how the fight goes or how good it or bad it is, I don't think, think it does much for either one of the fighters. Not ranking-wise, it's not going to raise them or lower them, and it, it's not going to make a lot of money, and it's not going to put them in the sights of the champion again. So I, I don't know what the fight does, except it's just another fight keeping them busy and keeping them paid in case Jones leaves the division. I, I agree with you. I'd rather see them against somebody else. Who do you think picks up the victory and how? Um, I guess I, I want to go with Gustafsson because he's shown a little bit more dimensions. He's beaten elite light heavyweights. I know that's an oxymoron. And to be honest, a lot of what Anthony Smith has done hasn't been particularly impressive. He's beaten up some other middleweights who moved up, and he beat Uzdemir, who, who really isn't that skilled a fighter. So if I'm going on paper and going off what they've accomplished and what I've seen from them, I have to go Gustafsson. The thing about it is I don't know how much of Gustafsson's heart is in this anymore. I mean, he couldn't have fought a worse fight against Jones. He's been fighting for a while. He said he got injured in the Jones fight. Is this the beginning where he starts getting injured routinely? And even though he's fought better opposition in the past couple years, he hasn't been really active. He's only had one fight. Smith has at least been fighting frequently against whatever competition is out there. So... I think I'm going to go and say that Smith can pull it off. I don't think he's particularly skilled, but I think he's got good counterpunching. I think he's physically strong. I think he's got he's got a good approach to how he does it. He knows his identity and he plays to his strengths. And I I honestly think that Gustafsson slipped a little bit. I don't I don't think he fights as smart as he used to. I don't think his feet are as quick as he used to be. His defense isn't great, and I don't, I don't think he takes a great shot anymore. I don't think he can, and I don't think he wants to take a great shot anymore. And I think that Smith can beat him on physicality and pressure. If, if Smith is what I think he is, and if Gustafsson slips, I'm probably going to go with Smith. On paper, I'm, I'd say Gustafsson because I like to go with experience, but I just haven't seen enough of Gustafsson recently to, to say that he can. he's the better fighter at this stage. Smith at least lasted five rounds with Jones. Gustafsson didn't really look good from beginning to the end of the fight. So 
So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that, there, man. Um, you, you know, we got the Thiago Santos fight coming up in a in a few weeks for John Jones. What should they do with this uh, division? Do you think he is going to eventually go up to 200 and take that fight against Cormier? I think he's going to be Cormier's last fight, and it will come in at, at the um, heavyweight in, in the heavyweight division. Um, I mean, it'd, it'd be great for Cormier because there's not a lot of big-name fights out there for him after the Brock fight kind of fell through. Jones has still been able to draw interest, even outside of Cormier. He's drawn interest. He's kind of the fans have kind of gotten onto him, whether they hate him or love him, they pay to see him fight. So Jones has some options, but the best and biggest option as far as the biggest moneymaker and the biggest event would be to fight Cormier. And obviously Cormier is going to want one last shot at Jones before he retires. I kind of wonder that if he loses the Jones before he retires, is that retirement going to be something that he can live with? Because it's one thing getting the fight you want. It's another thing when you lose the fight you want against a guy you can't stand as a person. And yeah, and it's interesting because like even if he was to get that win, it's still two to one. Is that enough? You know, like like is that enough to suffice for him? But um, you know, I really don't have the answer. We may never get it. We may never get that answer if that fight is not made as heavyweight and it's kind of left and we're left with with what we have today. I really don't care um either way, uh, but I see the value in putting those two together one more time. I mean, it works for the UFC. It's it's a big fight. It'll get a lot of attention. I don't know if it really if they even care that much though, because like I said, they they're getting a set fee, a flat fee from ESPN, so they don't really have to get too bent out of shape over pay per view buys and, and wood sales and whatnot. Outside of just you know being more appealing to the fans and giving giving ESPN what they ask for, they don't really have to worry about all that other stuff. So the fight doesn't have to happen, and Jones doesn't need the fight to happen. He's already beaten him twice convincingly. He's already the best light heavyweight of all time. I mean, maybe you can entice him with a, the heavyweight title because Cormier would probably be his best bet at winning a heavyweight title. Like he could move up, win the title, go back down to light heavyweight. But I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't really need the fight. And at that point, he's the only one who has anything to lose. He's two and zero against Cormier, and he can and he can let Cormier retire, knowing he could never beat Jones. He if he loses to Cormier, Cormier goes out on top and can say, "I got the last win after you got busted for drugs." So now you're really clean, and I beat you, which is what he's kind of hinted at over the years. So it does yeah, a lot more true. for Cormier than it does for Jones. So let's look at the rest of this UFC Stockholm card. What else stands out to you? Is there anything that should get anyone excited about watching this fight or after watching these fights, or is this just a throwaway beyond just the um, man that... Well, the fight again for Con- Tanya Evinger fighting uh, Lena Landsberg, that's a really important fight. Uh, Tanya Evinger has been in the UFC for a minute now. And she doesn't have, if I recall correctly, she doesn't have any wins in here. No, she and, she was expected to get some, but she that she could get the job done. Yeah, she she got crushed by a lad. That was a bad fight. I mean, that I wasn't expecting that at all. She didn't got, Cyborg she, blow the doors off of her too. Yeah, and Cyborg, we kind of we kind of expected Cyborg to do what she did to her, and she she had moments where she was competitive. She pressured her a little bit. I think she kind of got a halfway takedown, and and Cyborg didn't just blew her out. She outskilled her and eventually blew her out, but it wasn't just a crushing. You know what? We're wrong. Uh, we're wrong. She's won two UFC fights. She's two and three. So oh, okay, she, sorry. So she's, been exchanging, she's been exchanging wins and losses. Yeah, it's like um, I don't really know that she can afford to win, lose this fight. And, and to me, 
it's just I, I don't know where she's at as far as her as far as her physical skill set anymore. A lot of her success is her physicality and her ability to grind on people and eventually drag them down with constant takedown takedown kind of bully them. And part of that, when you're bullying, it means you have to pitch, you have to catch. You don't just get the pitch because bullying requires you to force your will on somebody, which means you're not being often defensively slick or getting away from people. And the way she was reacting to how Lad hit her and Lad's aggression, it just concerns me because if, if Tanya Evinger isn't durable and isn't physical, in my opinion, she just doesn't have a diverse or good enough skill set to win fights just based purely on skill and finesse. She, she's not going to do that. So I don't, I'm, I'm kind of concerned. This is a good style matchup because Lena Landsberg isn't a great wrestler and she's not a great grappler. But once again, Lena Landsberg is a person who's got some grappling skills that has improved and is a person who will initiate clinches. And if Avenger has lost a step athletically or isn't able to take punishment the way she used to, then when she gets stuck in one of those clinches, Avenger's gonna, uh, Lena Landsberg is going to get to her and possibly hurt her and put her on the defensive. And when Avenger's on the defensive, she's just no good at all. She's just not a very good defensive fighter when it comes to defending strikes or getting away from them. So she should win this fight on paper. She's a more experienced fighter. She's a more accomplished fighter. She's a better wrestler and a better grappler. But having seen how she's reacted to shots a little bit and her inability to put wins together and put decisive wins together against quality opposition, it just makes me concerned that she loses this fight and, and eventually gets cut from the UFC. I mean, it's, it's a weak division, but, you know, a loss of Lena Glansberg isn't helping her cause at all. True, true. Uh, let's see. Anything else from this card that stands out to you? Um, I mean, I guess I'm interested to see what Jimmy Manawa does. Uh, he always kind of wins or loses in spectacular fashion. He he's always very interesting to me because he started MMA so late and he was able to go on a run and and put together some really impressive wins against you know once again light heavyweight but world class opposition. And it seems as soon as he asserted himself, he kind of uh fell off the map as far as his skill set. So it's kind of it's kind of concerning. And I'm I'm very interested to see how he does against I forgot his opponent's name. Uh I can't say it correctly. Uh, uh Alexander Rakis, maybe? Yeah. yeah, Alexander yeah, there you go. Rocky. He's he's a young guy and he's coming up. He's shown some athleticism. He's shown some IQ. He's shown some ability to stick to a game plan and persevere through some adversity. But once again, the same problem we always have in the light heavyweight division is you have these young guys who essentially the division is so thin that you go from fighting so-so athletes and so-so experienced fighters to fighting guys who've got four, five, six, seven, eight fights in the UFC and have fought the best guys. And this is another case where he's going from one level opponent and taking a huge step up. Even though Manor was lost some fights, he's still probably the best athlete he's fought. He's probably the biggest hitter he's fought, and he's the best natural striker he's fought. So he's a, here's a guy who can offset any athletic advantage he has and who can, even though he's not the greatest technical striker, has enough explosiveness and power to offset any technical skills that uh, Rockick would have. So it's, once again, a young guy who should win a fight and win it easily, facing a more seasoned, more established, and more devastating fighter in the division. So he should win, but there's a very good chance that he, much like other guys who moved up to face Teixeira, or whoever else, getting out-hustled, beaten up, and defeated by the old man who's just got experience, toughness, and a lot of a lot of grit. So it's interesting to see if another light heavyweight upcomer 
gets crushed and sent back down the ladder by a faded fighter who's on a losing streak. True, true there. Um, what else? Does anything else stand out on this card? No, those are pretty much the, the fights I was I was keyed in on. Good, good, good. So let everybody know what you're working on this week as we close out this week's show. Uh, working on something for Jessica I. I'm going to kind of explain why the change in weight classes has gotten such better results. Like she went from being a middling bantamweight to a fighter who's still undefeated at flyweight and found her way all the way to a title fight where she could never seem to find herself past a number five or six ranking at bantamweight. So kind of explain what it is that led to her success now and why it's making a difference in how she's performing. True, true. Um, so with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out this week's show. I'm doing another podcast after this to kind of talk about some things going on in professional wrestling. As always, you can find all of our content at MMARatings.net, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MMARatings.net as we talk about just about everything that's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. Swan, let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, Black Jordan Breen on Twitter. Like I said, you want to talk women's mixed martial arts, martial arts, coaching, strategies, even some boxing, whatever you want, just hit me up with a question. I'm glad to have the conversation. Or if you want a question on this show, just uh, ask me or Raphael, and we will answer your question on the show. We're all about the fans, all about helping you understand the sport a little bit better. True, true, true. And um, you can catch me at rgarcia underscore sports. And with that in mind, man, I will thank you again for joining me today. And have a great weekend. Yeah, you too, sir. Have a good one.